0: Morning. Uh, This morning, I'm a little bit frazzled. We'll call it. Is that a a word? That's a word. Um, uh, We got a puppy last night. Bad decision. Before you preach, just a bad decision. So I wear a long sleeve shirt to a baptism. So this arm is wet, and I forgot my Bible. So it's going to go well today, guys. It's going to go really well. Luckily, we have, you know, a lead pastor who has a Bible in his office, so I stole it. guess we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Maybe I will have to repent. But I did discover that there is nothing in here, so I am not sure what Matt does with his time. Uh, We might need to talk about that. Right, Ron? Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's true. I did forget my Bible, and this is an extra that was on the shelf, but it doesn't have any notes in it, so we'll get sermon light, right? No. No. Uh, We're in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We've been there for a couple of weeks now, looking at the Ten Commandments of God, what God gave to the Israelites to be his people. So if you want to turn there, that would be great. And we will be looking at verses 8 through 11. Um, rest, rest stops are an interesting ph- phenomenon. Um, you either love them or you don't love them. I don't. I believe that when you get in the car at point A, you should get out of the car at your destination. That's how it was intended. All right? Okay. I'm glad that there's some who are like, yeah. The others are just like, are you crazy? I have people in my family who think that every rest stop is a place to stop. So like a three-hour trip takes 12 hours, and you're like, why? Why? There was nothing interesting at that stop. There was a toilet and... A little sign that says, here you can see gophers. You're like, oh, whew, glad I stopped. Some of us have bigger bladders than others, I guess. Uh, rest stops become important, I've discovered, when you have children. Um, there is that woeful sound from the back. Daddy, oh, 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 okay, a little bit more gas, a little bit more gas. Okay, three kilometers, three kilometers, three kilometers. I can do it, I can do it, right? Right, or you hear that other Rufal sound in the back, and then you start to smell, oh man, this is gonna get bad. How far, how far to the next rest stop? How far, how far? That far, oh no, I'm not gonna make it. So, one of the joys that I had as an, as an intern at North Langley Community Church when I was doing youth was carting kids to a camp we did up in Houston, B.C. Uh, we, we put on a camp for First Nations kids, and um, we would do two weeks. The first week, the kids would go up in a bus, and they would be there for the week. The second week, um, I would bring a new set of kids and switch off the leaders. And then I would drive the exhausted leaders back home, That's what I did so we would uh, do this in a two-day stint and where one day I would drive the 12 hours up stay there for a few hours sleep hopefully drive 12 hours back and hopefully I made it back in one piece Um, so that was great what you don't know is that on the way up all the kids are like energized ready to go they're ready for a week of camp on your way back, the kids that have just been drained of every drop of energy in their bodies sleep for 12 hours straight. It is the most boring drive home. Add on to that uh, that, I don't, that I didn't sleep because they put me in a cabin with other kids, so like one hour of sleep or so, and I drove home. Sounds stupid. Do you know when I discovered it was Stupid when I woke up in the other lane, somewhere between Cash Creek and Hope. Praise God that his merciful hand was on me and kept me safe. But I discovered the value of rest, the value of the stop, to wait, to let the body relax, maybe get a cup of coffee, as it were. Sometimes, though, when we come to the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment, we don't know how to work with it. We don't keep the Sabbath day like the Bible talks about it on the seventh day. So what do we do with it? How does it make, how is it in law? What, what, what does it mean for our lives? What should we do with it? What does it mean to Rest. So today we're going to look at that fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy, not to work. And we'll look at it in four ways. First, we'll look at Sabbath law, Sabbath sign, Sabbath fulfillment, and then finally Sabbath today. So let's start by reading Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I think we understand the law of Sabbath. Don't work. Plain and simple. Don't work. But before we get to that, did you notice that God has this little phrase before it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. On six days, you shall do all your work. Part of the command is that we would complete all the work assigned to the people of God in six days. See, God is not anti-work or Pro-laziness, just sit around. Or God is not a God who lessens the standard. No, no. God is a God of intentional work. Look, you have six days. Do all of it. You need to fix the fence? Fix the fence in six days. You need to teach your children something? Teach your children something in six days. Do all your work in six days. And then on the seventh day, do no work. Do nothing. Rest. So for the Israelites, this meant things like don't kindle a fire. You're not allowed to make a fire so that you can cook on Sabbath. So if you want to cook, you need to cook on Friday so that you can rest on Saturday. It means in Jeremiah 17, 20, it says, Do not carry any burdens from outside in, as if you were harvesting your field and bringing it into your barns. Don't harvest your field. Or in Nehemiah, when they're rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah says, Don't press wine. That's relaxing, isn't it? Don't bring in heaps of grain. Don't load your donkey. Don't take care of your fields. Don't work, people of Israel. Don't spend Sunday working or Sabbath working. Spend it resting. No work is to be done here on this day. But you see, this is, this is crazy. This is a crazy law. I mean, anybody who's a farmer in here knows that when harvest comes, you work, not six days. You work till the harvest is in. Whether it's Sunday or Monday or the middle of the night, you, get, you make sure your equipment is running and you get it done. And this is where the people of Israel are. They're living a subsistence lifestyle. They they are living day to day to day. They are waiting for their crops to get to the point where they can harvest them. And then when they do, they're supposed to stop, sit, and look at the work that is done and rest. With their enemies around, Walls that need to be built, fences that need to be fixed, families that need to be taught. No, you stop. If your animal needs to be taken care of, you either do it on Saturday, on Friday or you do it on Sunday. Not Sabbath. And you would think that the people of Israel would look around and go, but we're going to get behind. Everybody around us has an extra day. God says, no work. To, to the point, though, where in Numbers chapter 15, th- there's a man that's found picking up sticks. And the people find him and are like, oh, you, you can't do that on a Sabbath. So they bring him to Moses, and Moses talks to God, and God's judgment on him is you take him outside of the camp and you stone him to death. That's how serious this rest is. There is no wavering on Sabbath. You do not work, people of God. You stop. But Israel wasn't really good at uh, listening to God's word. They weren't so fantastic at obeying. So God sent prophets over and over, to say, hey, you're not following my commandments. You're not following my laws. You're not following what I've set out for you to do. You're not keeping my Sabbath. You're not keeping my festivals. You are betraying what I have asked you to do. In Isaiah 58, 13 to 14, it's one of those where he talks specifically about the Sabbath. And he asks, or he says to the Israelites, look... If you turn your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord Has spoken this word pleasure, for from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, actually is about work. See, the people of Israel were looking around at the people around them, and were thinking they got a day on us. We have to do this if we want to make money, if we want to supply for our family, if we want to make sure that we can survive. We need to eat, so we are going to harvest our fields. We are going to fix our fences. We're going to make sure that our animals are healthy, so that we can. Live. God says, no, 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 you need to turn your foot from your way and you need to delight in me on that day. Did you notice that it says there, it's, but it's not just for talking idly, it's not God's intention that the people of Israel just stop working. Sit down on the couch and shoot the breeze, tell their latest lawyer joke and about the silly things their kids did. That's not God's intention. See, God has a purpose for Sabbath. So, what then is God's purpose for Sabbath? Well, I think that it functions as a sign. That it points towards something. That Sabbath is a ritual that is supposed to point towards a reality that God had determined. And I think there's actually two in in this text. First, he points to creation. We see that right away in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, God roots the Sabbath in his creative work. God says, just as I rested in, uh, on the seventh day, so you, my people... My representatives in the world shall rest. I created in six, and I rested. You work in six, and then you rest. And in that, you actually show the world the image bearers that you are. You are my people because you act like me, Israel. But not only that, Because as the people of Israel sat and contemplated creation and the acts of God and his rest, they would remember that God is creator, that God is sustainer, that God is their God. They would look out at their fields that are ready for harvest and remember God made this. God sustains this. And he will to sustain me. See, God created a pattern, a cadence, a rhythm to live in that would be for human flourishing, that would that would cast reliance on him and show his character and his goodness towards us and draw our eyes to him as creator, as sustainer, as provider. And so Israel would sit or should have sat and reflected on God as creator and remembering all of the good works that he had done for them. And God would have said, then I will use you to show the world what my people looks like. The funny thing is, is that science a- agrees with this. If you do studies, or if you would read studies on uh, rest and how what the cadence of life looks like, the, the studies overwhelmingly show that if you take a day every seven and you do not work, your body performs better. You do better. You think better. You heal better. You learn better. You create better. You can have a control group that doesn't and one that does and those that rest think sharper are more productive in the six days that they work instead of the seven. Their heart disease is less. Their brain function is better, they sleep better, they have better relationships, and it all points to the fact that God has rooted in us his pattern, his cadence, his rhythm, six days of work, one day of rest. People of Israel, please follow me, obey my commands, it is good for you. The second sign, though, isn't so obvious. The second sign is that the Sabbath shows that it is God who saves. Now, if you read again through those three verses, you're going to think, how is it that God saved? Like, how did you get that there? So first, we're going to back up a little bit and look at the whole Old Testament. <laughs> Told you, it's going to be long. God, when he makes covenants with his people, when he makes promises with his people, he's done it four times in the Old Testament. He made it with Noah, he made it with Abraham, he made it with Moses and the people of Israel, and he made it with David. And we call these covenants that God has made. He's made a promise to his people in one way, shape, or form, and they always take a certain pattern. There is always a sign. There is always a promise of God, and then there is always something that the people that he's making a promise with have to do. So I'll look at the two ma- major ones before we look at ours. Uh, Abraham, when God separated him from his people and called him out, made a promise with him in Genesis chapter 12. And God said to him, I will make you a great nation. That's the promise. You will obey me. That's the command. And the sign was circumcision. On the eighth day after birth, every male Israelite was circumcised to remember God's promise to Abraham when he said, I will make you a great nation. So when you had a son and you went to that ceremony, you would remember the promises of God you would remember that God is faithful to his word, that what God said is being accomplished, and it was a sign that pointed to him and his work. In the same way, when God made a promise with David that said, I will establish your kingdom forever, that was his promise. His requirement was that the people of Israel would obey his laws as outlined in the the books of the law Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the sign was a Davidic king on the throne. So every time there was an inauguration of a new king, when Solomon came and sat on the throne and they had a huge party, they would remember God's faithfulness to his promise that he would keep a kingdom for all generations. And every time a king sat on that throne, they would remember to look to God because he was faithful to commit to follow through on his promises. So here... The Israelites have been taken out of the land of Egypt. They've been rescued by God through miraculous events and led by Moses to the mountain of uh, Mount Sinai. And God descends upon the mountain and sits on it, and Moses goes up and reveals to them the, the, the law. And what we have is from chapter 20 to chapter 31, the law that God gives Moses. The first half is on uh, what the prescribed law is, so the Ten Commandments, and then working out how that looks. The last half is on building the tabernacle. What does the tabernacle, the place where God is going to dwell, what's that going to look like? So God lays out the rules. Follow these and my promise will come true. And his promise was that the people of Israel would be his people and, they would be, or, and that he would be their God. And what was the sign? Well, the sign was Sabbath. Exodus 31, 12, and 13. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You are to keep the Sabbath day and those other festivals, Pentecost, Passover, first fruits, feast of trumpets, day of atonement, feast of booze, to remember that I save you. You don't save you. I save you. The very design of Sabbath is that it was to drive the people of Israel so that they would remember that God saved them that God saves them, that God will save them. Well, how? Well, if you read the books of the law, if you read through Leviticus, has anybody done that? You want to know how to do the, ki- the kidneys and figure out what to do with which parts of the bull and and then how to dress, and when to do this, and when to do that, and when can you go out of your tent, and when can you go into your tent, and when are you allowed to touch this person, and when are you allowed to touch that person, and what happens if you accidentally do this, and what happens if you accidentally do that. And you try and keep that for six days, and on the seventh day, you sit, you stop, and you go, I can't do it. There is no way that I can keep the law. There is absolutely no way that the standard that God has set, I can keep. And Moses understood this. So at the end of Deuteronomy, when, he, when they're doing their final um, instructions, Moses says this, look, you're going to take the book of the law, and you're going to put it in the tabernacle where God is. The Ten Commandments, the stone tablets, are going to go inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And then beside the Ark of the Covenant, you're going to put the law, and this is why, Deuteronomy 32, 27. Take the book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. See, as the people of Israel reflected on the the law of God, they would recognize that they could not save themselves. No matter how hard they tried, six days a week, on the seventh day, if they would take time to rest, the only thing that they could reflect on is how terribly they kept it. How desperately they needed a God who saves. And the only thing that they could think is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, Sabbath was a signpost pointing to a God who saves. It was not the lines on the road that keep us from doing wrong things. It told us how far to the next rest stop. It reminded them of who God is and how desperately, desperately they needed him. We find ourselves in that same boat. I mean, we sit... We sit here in this auditorium and we think to ourselves when we reflect on the week. Oh. This was a hard week. I don't know. If I start to think about the things that I did, how I treated my kids, what I what I said to my spouse, how I was dishonest at work or what I what I did in my private time, I start to think, man, man, I am crushed. I am crushed by the law. You see, the law takes a picture like an x-ray and shows, oh, you have broken bones. But it does nothing, nothing to fix them. So then, Sabbath fulfillment. See, when when Jesus came, he declared that he didn't come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill it in Matthew 5, 17. It's pretty straightforward. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have come to accomplish them. What they laid out, I have come to fulfill. I will keep them perfectly. I will fulfill the requirement of Sabbath as a sign pointing to the rest and salvation we find in God. I, Jesus Christ, will fulfill the requirements of Sabbath. So what does that mean? Well, it's really interesting. In John chapter 5... Um, We have this story where there is a, a, a man who has been afflicted with something that he can't move for 38 years. And he's sitting beside a pool that traditionally was understood that at some point in time an angel would come down and stir the pool and then someone would get inside and then they would be healed. And this man's been sitting there for 38 years and can't get into this pool. And Jesus comes along on what day? the sabbath. He couldn't choose a different day, and he says to this man, would you like to be healed? Yeah. Well, then stand up, walk, pick up your mat. So the man does, and the Pharisees set their hair on fire. They're just, are you kidding? What what did you just command this man to do? Don't you know he can't carry a load? He can't have a burden. You just asked him to pick up his mat and walk. Never mind that. You healed him. Like, you yourself have broken the Sabbath day. Like, are you kidding me? And and this is why it says halfway through uh, John chapter 5 that they wanted to kill him was because he broke the Sabbath and he claimed to be God. Those are the two. And then Jesus, as he's talking with them in John chapter 5, in verse 39, he says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You look at the Old Testament. You look at the law. You look at the prophets and the writings. And you think that in them is eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Then you've got it wrong. They are not the lines in the road that will stop you from getting into a head on collision. They're the sign that tells you what the destination is. And that is me, Jesus. I fulfill them, I keep them, I live them perfectly. And then I will die a death that is unjust because I live them perfectly. And I will conquer death because I am God. And I will rise again and grant you the life that you don't deserve because I am the God who saves, because I am the God who sanctifies. And then on the road to Emmaus, after he has risen from the dead and he appears to these two disciples as they're walking along, he starts to explain it to them in Luke 24, 27, And being with Moses and all the uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all scripture the things concerning himself. Say, you're looking at it wrong. Look through my death, look through my resurrection, look through my teaching, and can you see how the entire Old Testament, how the law and the prophets, how the things that Moses set up for you points to me? Do you see how the Sabbath is a representation, is a sign that points to me, that I fulfill? And then he goes on in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to say this, Come to me, all who are labored and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I am the rest that Sabbath is pointing to. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest not only for your bodies, but for your souls. You will be made right with God. You no longer need a day in where the law speaks against you and burdens you down because the mercy and grace of God has saved you. Rest in me. I pray that you know that rest the people of Israel were given a set of laws that would show them how woefully short they come to the standard of God and God has said I have met that standard trust me Trust in my work on the cross. Trust in my death for your sins which were cast upon me. Trust on my resurrection and my capacity to grant you eternal life. Do you rest in Christ? Friends, if you do, That is worth celebration. That is worth remembering. That is worth setting aside time to spend glorifying the God who did not leave you in death but brought you to life and gives you eternal rest. So, Sabbath today... There is no legal requirement to adhere to the Sabbath. The Sabbath requirements are completely and utterly fulfilled in Christ. Colossians 2:16 to 17 say, "Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink," or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. In Christ, we have Sabbath rest. In Christ, we have access to God unfettered, regardless of our sin, regardless of how woefully terrible we met the law of God today, we have access because of Christ, and we have rest in Him. And yet, God has made us image bearers. And God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. There is wisdom in following God's prescription. Not in legalism, but in response. See, Resting still reminds us of God's creative power. It still reminds us that we are made in His image, that we reflect Him. It reminds us that we are His ambassadors here, that He has imprinted His image and is using us to speak to the nations that work seven days a week at nauseum to gain nothing. It reminds us that we have rest in Christ. It reminds us that God provides for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And so if our harvest needs to be Brought in, we can rest that God will provide. Do you know what it also does? It also roots out idols. I mean, if we would think now, what would a day of rest mean? Probably we're thinking, oh, but like... My boss, my, my boss kind of requires me to answer those emails. Like, they come in and I need to, I need to answer that. What, what's that going to do for my career? God, creator, sustainer, provider, career. Or, I mean, if, if, if I don't help my kid get good at this sport... I mean, there's this coaching thing on Sunday mornings. And I need, I need to go. Or, how am I going to provide for my retirement? I need to work. I need to make hay while the sun is shining, so to speak. Oh, and slowly, slowly, our idols are exposed. It's funny how God implements things like that to really draw out what it is that our heart adores. Isn't it? Rest is good, not as a law, but because we are image bearers and because God has designed it to be good for us. It gives us an opportunity to remember what he has done, what he is doing, And what he will do one day. And I think one day a week is really great to spend lifting our eyes to the horizon and saying, I can't wait for that final rest. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that we have to look forward to a rest that will never cease place where we can be in peace with you and relationship with you unhindered god what we see now dimly you will make so clear so father would you help us to rest first in what you have done in christ and then god would you help us rest and remember what you have done what you are doing and what you will continue to do as we participate with you god Oh, thank you, Father, that we can rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.